Just a quick update. Uh, we did start construction this week over at the new place. Things uh, have been, yeah. Maybe you saw the picture. Things have been torn up. And I don't know if anything's been built yet, but it's definitely, there's a big mess over there. So that's uh, more than we've had in a while. So we're, we're going to take that. Keep praying for that process. Always you get into this process and there's always obstacles and hurdles and hoops and things like that that you have to jump through. So pray for that, that God will be in control, and thank you for your support and your giving and, and uh, excitement. Hopefully, we'll be at a place where we can go over there soon and kind of walk through. They've uh, outlined where the walls are going to be, so it sort of makes sense now uh, when I was in there on Thursday, which is great. Um, maybe because I do this every week, uh, and it involves words and talking but I, I'm kind of a student of language. I'm always interested in how people use language and how they get their point across. And in kind of a weird way, I'm interested in specific words that start getting used a lot. Like just at any given point in time, there's a word that's really popular and everybody's using that word and, and nobody said, okay, we're going to all officially start using this word, but it just sort of spreads like wow, for preachers are the worst of, the, of that sort of thing, but don't get me started on that. Uh, the, the word I'm thinking about is the word so, and obviously we've used the word so for a long time, but it used to be that so was a conjunction, like it, enjo it, it joined two independent thoughts or, or connected two thoughts together in some way. So has become a, a way to start sentences. Have you noticed this? Like everybody starts their sentence with so now. I, I think so has become the new um. I think it's like the processing word, like I'm trying to think of what to say, and we used to say, um, when somebody said, hey, what are you going to do this afternoon? We'd go, um, I think I'm going to, but now somebody says, what are you going to do this afternoon? And people say, so I think I'm going to go to Stone Mountain. It's like this introductory word at the beginning of a sentence, which is fine. It's fine. I do it too. Like, I'm not mad about it. I mean, it's just interesting to me that words just randomly become popular, like random, right? We went through the random phase a couple of years ago. Everything was random. It got used all the time. Paul, who writes a huge chunk of the New Testament, we're studying Philippians, one of his little books, about halfway through the New Testament, close to the end of your Bible, if you want to find it, we'll be there in just a second. Paul liked this word. He didn't start sentences so much with it. He really did use it the way God intended, to join two ideas. Paul strikes me as kind of a stream of consciousness guy, because when you read him, he like gets to talking about this, and that reminds him of this, and so he says, so, and he goes in that, and then so, and he goes back in that direction. It's just sort of one thing, he's sort of weaving and bobbing all the way through his letter, and then he's done. I, I think if you went to Starbucks with Paul and said, hey, we got two hours, you probably wouldn't say anything the whole two hours because Paul would start talking about this thing and it reminding of that thing and then over in the Old Testament, this thing happened and then this thing. That's just the way Paul is. And when we were together last Sunday, he started chapter two with so or therefore, and he was connecting it to the suffering he'd just been talking about. Well, when we get to verse 12, where we left off last week, guess what word he starts with? Exactly. So, he starts with so, or therefore, depending on your translation, and he's connecting again his previous thought, which was, Jesus came and he just completely emptied himself of his glory and his, 
his godness and the power and privilege that was his. He'd been in heaven since eternity past, being worshipped, being on the throne, being right hand of God. Uh, He spoke creation into being. Jesus is a part of that whole process, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, And he sets that aside and takes on human form and lays aside privilege and power and and, uh, access that he had had, and, and so we get to verse 12, and Paul says, okay, so because of that, therefore, this is how you and I need to be living our lives. If that's true, I mean, if we claim to worship a God who emptied himself of his godness and became human, God in human flesh, then that calls forth a response from us, and here's what our response ought to be, and I'm going to sum it up. Um, if you get bored, if you get sleepy, if you have to leave early, this is kind of, I'm going to sum up what Paul's going to tell us. And basically, it's two things. Because of what Jesus did, be who you are and help someone else be who they are. Be who you are and help someone else be who they are. Now, when, when I say be who you are, I don't mean what's kind of popular right now. And, and it's the idea of, well, that's just me. You just have to deal with it. That's, that's not what I mean. I, I don't mean, well, that's just how I am. You just kind of have to deal with me. Well, that's the way I've always been. Well, I've always done it this way. I, I don't mean that. Sometimes... I think we use that's just the way I am as an excuse to never become something better than who we've always been. Like we use it as kind of a, a, an end line. Well, that's just who I am. I'm not ever going to change. That's just who I am. I'm never going to fix that thing. I'm never going to become better. I'm never even going to try to become better. That's just who I am. We use it to our excuse our unwillingness or dare I say our laziness at working on ourselves. You just got to put up with it because that's just who I am. That's not what I mean when I say be who you are. Here's what I mean. I mean, when you, when you came to faith in Christ, God's Spirit like, took up residence inside of you. Like God's power and goodness and grace filled your life. Like that's who you are now. You are more than the sum total of your genetics and your background and your experiences and your circumstances and your brokenness and all the things that failed in your life. You're not just a combination of all of those things. God says, no, you you can be more than all of that. You're not just a victim. You're not just enslaved to Well, these are my genetics, and this is my DNA, and these people were my parents, and so that's why I turned out this way. The Bible says that the power of God's Spirit is inside of you. That's the you that Paul's going to call out. Paul's going to say, yeah, I want that you to come out more. I want that you that's on the inside of you to start coming out on the outside of you. Peter said the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter writes, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Everything you need. Like the, 
to live and walk and be like Jesus. God says, that's in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything you need. And now Paul's going to say, yeah, let's start getting that on the outside. Let's start living into that. Not just into who you've always been. Not, Not just into, well, that's just who I am. But God has called us to this bigger potential. This bigger spiritual walk. This person of the Holy Spirit, that you and I can begin to live out. And and that's the challenge of being who you are. It's not a resignation. It's not of, well, this is all I got. It's a, man, I get to live into something bigger than me, bigger than, than just my genetic makeup. So here's what Paul says in verse 12. So, therefore... My dear friends, since Jesus did this, since he gave up everything for us, poured his life out for us, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. A whole bunch packed into that little verse. First of all, he says, look, you're my friends. Like, I love you. We've already talked about how much affection Paul has for this little church. Like, I love you, and that's why I'm, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm calling out the, the eternal best in you. Is because I love you, and, and you were walking with God. Like, you were obeying. When I was there, and I was the pastor, and I was the church planter, and, and we looked eye to eye to one another every day, and we challenged each other, and we prayed for one another, and we encouraged one another. Man, you were doing that. You were walking with God. And Paul knows this kind of conflict has snuck in that we've been talking about. This lack of unity snuck into this church. But he says, man, there was a time that we were really walking together towards God. And I want you to keep doing that even though I'm not with you. Like I was there and it was going great. And now I'm not there. And I want you to continue to walk towards to walk towards Jesus. And Paul becomes kind of like a parent because all parents have had this conversation with their kids. Paul says, look, I want you to do the right thing when I'm there and when I'm not there. Right, parents? You've had that conversation. Like, I'm not going to be with you all the time. Right? I'm not going to be in the car with you when you have to make that decision. I'm not going to be at the party with you. I want to make sure you know how to do the right thing because I can't watch you all the time. Although technology is making it easier, Right. Parents, like you can track where they are on your phone. My wife does that. Yeah, so you can track and know they're here and there, but you can't be with them all the time. This is, we've become more and more comfortable as a society with being watched. Uh, we're, we're, if you ask somebody, they would say they're not okay with it, but we spend most of our day being watched. If you're a conspiracy theorist, you may want to tune out for just a minute. Um, I was reading an article this week. The average American, just going about your day, normal day, norm, normal business, normal, normal routine, you're videoed more than 75 times on a, just a normal day. Go to the bank, go to the grocery store, right? go past the camera, the, the traffic camera, right? go to the convenience store, in your business, security cameras, closed caption, more than 75 times on average... And if that freaks you out, don't go to London because the study they did in London is that the average person is videoed more than 300 times every day on the streets of London. Like, we're, we don't think about it, but we're used to being watched all the time. Paul says to the Philippians, look, I don't have cameras. Like, I'm not a creeper. I can't see you all the time. I don't know what you're doing all the time. Here's, here's my heart, though. 
My heart, my heart is whether I can see you or not, like you're, you're living for God. Like you're moving closer to what Jesus wants you to be. And the spirit that's inside of you, the Jesus that's inside of you, is coming out of you more and more and more. So Paul uses this next phrase, continue. In other words, this is going to be ongoing in your life. It's not like one time you fix it, it's good. This is, this is going to be an ongoing process. Continue to work out your salvation, which is a great phrase. I love this phrase from Paul. It's a phrase that can be easily misunderstood. So let's, let's figure out what it's not. Here's what it's not. Paul says to work out your salvation. He doesn't say to work for your salvation. And that's probably the biggest misunderstanding we could make. Paul's not saying, okay, you prayed the prayer, you got baptized, or you went to church. Now, you got to do all of these other little things to make sure you get to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He, he's not saying, okay, you, you signed the card and you checked the box. Now, you got to make sure you do enough good things on this side of the ledger to outweigh the bad things. He's not saying work for your salvation. He knows these people have already trusted Jesus. Like, they're, they're, they're going to heaven. Like, salvation's a done deal. Like, they've given their life to Christ. He's not saying, now you got to add all of this stuff to your salvation. He's saying, no, let it come out of your life. Uh, another thing, Paul says to work out your salvation, not to figure out your salvation. This is not Paul's way of saying, you know what, where well, we all kind of take different paths, but we all end up in heaven, or you kind of figure out what works for you, and you kind of figure out what works for you, and you believe what you want to believe, and you believe what you want to believe, and then everybody kind of gets there eventually. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, hey, the, Jesus is the way. You already know that. Like, you've already given your life to Christ. Christ died for you and rose again. Jesus is the way. We're all on that way. But what needs to happen is more of Jesus has got to keep coming out of your life. This is like an ongoing process once you come to faith faith of more of Jesus coming out. Right? The, the goal here then, the goal is for there to be growing evidence on the outside of what is true on the inside. Like the inside's already been settled. When you, when you came to faith in Christ, you're as, you're as right with God as you're ever going to get. Now you're as forgiven as you're ever going to get. You're bound for heaven as much as you're ever going to be bound for heaven. Like that is settled and done. The process that starts, though, when you trust Jesus is, all right, how do I become more like Jesus? Like How, how does what's true of my heart become true of the way I act and speak and think and treat other people. And, and some aspects of our lives are kind of easy when it comes to that, right? Like there, there are some things that Jesus wants for our lives that's just natural to your personality or to your experience or to your background. You're like, I don't have any problem with that. Like I, that comes easy to me. But then if we're honest, there's like these other couple of things that don't. It's like this ongoing weakness, temptation, challenge, whatever we want to call it. And Paul's going, yeah, that right there, don't give up on that. Don't resign yourself to always failing in that area because God's going to do something even in that area that you think keeps tripping you up. Don't just decide, that's just me. Work out your salvation. Uh, allow what God has done on the inside of your life 
to keep coming out on the outside of your life. And, 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 and Paul says there's an attitude that goes with this. In order for this to happen, the attitude is what my translation describes as fear and trembling. Like there's, there's this attitude of humility. Humility, I think, uh, this kind of loving respect, I think, for God because of what Paul just told us. I mean, this is what Jesus did for you. Like He died, right? He submitted to the death of a criminal on your behalf in light of that. Yeah, man, I, I want to live for him. Like I, I want to bring my life under his leadership and his lordship and his shaping of my heart and my character and my mind and my relationships. I want to bring my life underneath that because of what he did for me, but maybe also a humility towards myself. Right. A humility on the one hand of like, when I start making progress, I don't get full of myself. Like, I don't think, ah, oh, I got this figured out. Right. There's, there's that subtle temptation to pride and arrogance that slips in when we start taking steps in the right direction. And Paul would say, no, 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 just keep walking in humility. Like, stay under God. Like, keep letting God do what he's doing in your life, as well as a humility when, when I fail. To realize, but there's grace for this, and I can start walking again, and I can keep moving again. I don't have to stay here. Now, to that little phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul couples with this phrase in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. So it's not just you working out. Matter of fact, it's, it's not even mostly you working out. The, the, the transformation that's going to happen in you is when your small efforts to work out your salvation meets God's incredible efforts at working in you. Because the whole time you're working out your salvation, God's working in you with His power, calling you to His purposes to his plans, to who he envisions you being, to who he sees you being, and, and seeing your character match the character of Jesus. For it's God that is at work in me as I'm working on these other things that are going on in my life. And all the things that God wants to accomplish in us, he's able to accomplish in us. I mean, he has the power. He, he's able to make those transformations in our hearts. As a matter of fact, He provides the most power. On my own, there are some areas in my life that I look at and I think, I'll never get better at that. I'll never stop doing that. I'll, I can never seem to get over that. And that's right. If, if it were up to me, there are parts of my, my character and my habits and my choice. If it were up to me, I would never change them. That's why Paul steps in and says, well, it's not up to you. Like you're taking these little steps, but you got to realize God is at work in you to move you in the right direction. In this sense, God is, God is not the cheerleader standing beside you saying, Yay, go you. Like you're awesome. You can do this. Right? He, he's, he's not the one. He, he does encourage, He does help. 
But Paul's picture of God is not kind of over on the sidelines or up in heaven going, hey, keep going, you can do this. Paul's picture is, no, the power of God's in you. Like he's at work moving you in the right direction. He's not over there yelling good things. He's in you providing the power of transformation. So keep working at it. Keep letting him have his way in you. Then it's almost as if Paul realizes there are going to be some challenges in this process. There are going to be things that could derail your spiritual development. And Paul could have listed 20 or 10 or 50. He could have said, look, be careful of all of these things because they're going to trip you up. But he decided to mention one. And this is the one he mentioned in verse 14. Do everything, like as this process is happening in you, everything that's happening, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Hey, most people tell us, don't ever say never, don't ever say always, because nothing's never right, and nothing's always right. Paul goes right to never and always. Do not ever attempt life Attempt anything with grumbling and arguing. It's like Paul knew. The quickest way to short-circuit your spiritual growth is a negative critical spirit. The quickest way. The quickest way to sabotage what God's turning you into is to always complain, to, to always see things in a critical way. So he says, don't, don't ever do this. Don't don't ever live your life with grumbling and arguing is two different words. Uh, Grumbling is kind of that inner negative talk. Whether it's about somebody else kind of murmuring how much you dislike them or they did it wrong or they always mess it up or the person you work with. Just sort of that inner monologue. They drive me crazy. I can't stand being around them. That, That inner Dialogue, either about the other person or maybe even that inner dialogue about me because some of us have a tendency to do that, right? I mean, our grumbling can sometimes be focused outward, but our grumbling can sometimes be focused inward. I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to do it. And Paul says, if you want to short circuit what God's doing in your life, you got to get that out of your head. You got to get that out of your talk, out of your mind, out of your attitude. So that inner negativity... Paul warns us about arguing is kind of the external negativity. Like, I want everybody to know that I don't like this. You, know, you work with any of those people? You know any of those people? Like, everybody in this office is going to know how I feel about it. Right? Paul says both of those, whether it's that just inner criticism of yourself, of somebody else, whether it's that external, always leading with the negative, always leading with the critical. You've got to get rid of that in order to free God's Spirit up to do His work in you. And yeah, there's probably other things you can do to sabotage His work, but Paul zeroes in right here to says, look, this is self-defeating. Like, if you want to grow in Christ, growing in Christ in negative, critical spirit doesn't go together. It just doesn't. You're not going to be who God created you to be 
if that's the inner monologue that's always going on in your head. Opposite of that, verse 15 and 16. Get rid of that so, there's our word again, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, you know what your life's going to look like? Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And, and, and them is the world around you, like people who don't even know Jesus. It, it, if you're taking the small steps of working out your salvation and, and you're relying on God working in you to transform you into the image of Jesus, and if you're rooting out criticism and negativity and grumbling and arguing, if you're getting that out of your life, Paul says, like, you're going to stand out wherever you go because this is not how people tend to live. Like, people aren't being transformed into the image of Jesus. People are grumbling and complaining a lot. Anybody on Twitter, right? It's like all this constant criticism and Paul says, if you could just get that out of your life, let the Spirit do His work in you, keep taking steps towards Jesus, then pretty soon like, your, your character is going to shine to the people around, like a star in the darkness. You're going to be so unusual, so upside down in the way that you live. Joseph Motyer wrote a, a commentary on Philippians. I, I like this phrase that he used. He says that light does what it has to do by being what it ought to be. Light does what it has to do by being what it ought to be. And that's kind of what Paul's saying. Look, as your life is transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, when you stop saying, well, that's just me, there's nothing I can do about it, and you allow the Spirit of God to control those areas and God's power to be at work in you in those areas and you root out bitterness and criticism and negativity, you're going to be light. Like you're not going to be able to help but be light. Like you don't even have to try to be light. You're just going to be the light of Jesus in the world if we live this way. And the world is in desperate need of light. The world is in desperate need of a clear way to see Jesus in front of them. A clear way to see somebody who's really following after Jesus. No agendas. No political commentary. No, well, I need my voice to be heard. No, none of that. Just somebody who's wanting to live for Jesus. The world needs to see more and more lights and stars in the darkness that we're living in currently. And Paul says, that can be you. Now, you could be that person. If you'll keep working out your salvation as God's working in you and rooting out negativity and criticism and bitterness out of your heart, you're going to shine. I was about to say it's just that easy. That's not really easy, is it? I mean, because we all have that wrestling going on. But we don't wrestle alone. We're not left to our own power and our own devices. And this is, this is the good news of God at work in us. That we can be who we really are. We can be who God's really calling us to be. Not just the sum total. 
of all of my makeup and all of my hang-ups and all of my past experiences, but the, the light that God is calling us to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for such a hopeful message from Paul. Um, we've all got baggage and issues and struggles and setbacks and frustrations. I'm so glad 2,000 years ago, Paul sat down in a prison cell and said, like, I want to tell you that you can be more than the combination of your genetics and your experiences and your predispositions. Like there's a you that God wants to bring out and he's going to help you do that. God, we live in a world that so many times leads with negative, leads with criticism, leads with complaining, leads with grumbling. We work in environments like that. We're, we're around people like that. We, we are people like that sometimes. Remind us that right there short circuits what you're doing in our heart. And help us just to root it out, to keep pushing it away, to keep rejecting it. So that in a world of darkness, we would shine like stars. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.